0: bit of a battery
1: oh for god's sake already (laughs) three seconds into this conversation have i ever licked the knobbly bit of a battery no but i hear
0: it's not very good for you
1: is that is that right
0: i just i can't believe it's a thing i think you'd actually (laughs) you'd heard about it it was it was a couple of days it was during barcelona and i was actually having a chat with with Barry Cowan and our producer at ATP Tennis Radio, Russell. And we were talking about your tongue because a few people in the last week have come up to me and asked about your tongue. And like, she must have been kidding. She made it up. And I said, no, apparently I haven't seen the tongue. There is a photo. I don't want to see the tongue. And then, and Barry said, it's, it's like licking the knobbly bit of a battery (laughs) at which point, I said, what do you mean it's like, Nick? He said, you must have done that. And then Russell said, you must have licked the end of a battery. I was like, which end? What are you talking about? And they looked at me as if I was sort of an alien from another planet. I had never heard about licking a battery, let alone doing it. Have you done it? Have you, you've heard about it? I've heard about
1: it. I don't, haven't really heard about it in much detail. I know that it's a thing that people do when they're feeling particularly stupid, much like licking ice cream bowls. <laughs> but uh, I think it's probably in the same league. So I can understand them making the comparisons. But what, do you get stuck to a battery then if you lick it? I, I didn't think that was what happened. <laughs> I don't know. I think uh,
0: you get a shock. If you lick the, the knobbly bit. So not- well, that's what you would assume would happen, right? Well, no, because I wouldn't even have ever thought about that. Even your tongue licking something cold and it getting stuck to it, I can sort of, that that didn't, I mean, it was shocking that you did it, especially at a dinner party, but <laughs> at, <laughs> the, the sort of process of, of doing that and it happening, that wasn't a surprise because that's what will happen. But the thought of, I would never even have, if someone gave me a battery and said, do something with it, that. I never, he never would have come into my mind at any point to lick it. (laughs) do something with it (laughs) it's not like one of those things you know when you go to a job interview and they say right name
1: 20 things you can do with a paperclip." there are very limited things you can do with batteries one is power things two is lick (laughs) them and then I think I'm out
0: (laughs) you can't really get that creative surely it depends what line of work you're in I mean I was just again there are so many things that I've just never heard about or never would have expected to do We'll probably get more people on social media saying, you must have heard about licking batteries. I hadn't. I mean, I have now. And then they said, don't you now feel like doing it? And weirdly, <laughs> the more I thought about it, I thought, actually, you start to become, I'm not going to do it. it. Whether I'm drunk or sober, I'm, I'm never going to do it. But it does start to sort of cross your mind. What would happen if I did it? But I'm not going to do it. Don't you do it. I,
1: <laughs> well, I can... <laughs> I mean, I can understand that that Russell did it, but I'm disappointed in Barry because if, as a tennis player, (laughs) there are things you're not supposed, you're not supposed to do anything dangerous at all, really, especially when you start kind of doing all right. Licking batteries is definitely off the list. I had to stop going skiing. That was
0: disappointing. No, hang on. You can't put... (laughs) Have you just put going skiing with licking batteries (laughs) in in the the same... Well, I don't know how dangerous (laughs) licking a battery is. I don't think it's that dangerous. (laughs) I think <laughs> I don't think if you went to your insurers, because I know working with a lot of footballers, they can't go skiing, they can't have motorbikes. Yeah. Licking batteries is, is not one of the things they can't do. <laughs> Can you imagine if that's one of your questions from your insurer? Do you lick <laughs> batteries frequently? <laughs> well, I like that. I'm disappointed in Barry. You should have known better. <laughs> I have high standards for him. Your insurance as a tennis player, is it expensive to insure a tennis player? Well,
1: yeah. I remember one conversation which was hilarious and it was just my car insurance. It it wasn't, you know, any sort of life insurance or anything like that, travel, whatever. Just car insurance. And they said, what's your job? And I said, I'm a professional tennis player. And suddenly it like tripled. I was like... What do you mean? Why? And they, they they listed off a few bits, which I could kind of understand. You might leave your rackets in the car, so people might want to break in, all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'll give you 100 quid for that, and this and that, whatever. But this doesn't make any sense. And then they said to me, and I kid you not, this was the first time I got car insurance. <laughs> I was 17. I wasn't 16, that's for sure. I was 17. <laughs> <laughs> it was already astronomically high, as it is for a 17-year-old. And they said to me... Because I kept saying, I don't really see how this is adding up to that much because before I told you as a professional tennis player, it was a lot less. And they said to me, well, you never know, you might be driving Tim Henman home. (laughs) And I said, you've got to be joking. I said, well, no, he's worth a lot of money and we would have to insure anything that's inside the car, including Tim Henman. So I don't know Tim Henman. I've never met him. (laughs) I didn't know him. I didn't get to know him after that, but at that time I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to drive Tim Hemman home. And even if I did know him, he would not be getting in the back of my car, which was like a 20-year-old Ford Fiesta, called Joan. Please tell me your car wasn't named.
0: <laughs>
1: my first one was named. It was named Joan.
0: Why was it named Joan? But I've never named another car. Well, No wonder. What, why? Where did
1: Joan come from? Because she was the sort of car that would have like a purple rinse. Very old, maroon, so just you went with joan it's a great car loved it but uh, tim Hemman did not get in so i paid all that money for nothing i didn't
0: even get to drive tim Hemman around i had something really similar because when i went and this was a I, I still sort of get it now but when i first started working for chelsea and i went to get my car insurance and what do you do and you say um, you're a journalist who do you work for and i said chelsea i thought these were all positive things because before i've i've won- gone to book a holiday through a travel agency it turns out the owner of the travel agency is a chelsea fan we got this amazing upgrade so i actually thought it was quite a good thing to say nice so so i remember saying i worked for chelsea and, I, and suddenly like you the price tripled and i said i i, I don't understand uh what's happened and they and and I, my ver, my football version of your tim henry was well you might be driving frank lampard around and i said no no but i'm not going to and they said what if you drove him to training and i was like why would i be driving frank lampard to training <laughs> you're not his driver <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I said you know he earns enough to have a car and you know he can drive but what if you're driving around? I'm not going to be driving any of the first team around in my car, I promise you. But that was, uh, it, so it was nothing to do with me or insuring me or what I did. It was, they actually said to me, it's because of my, what might be my cargo. <laughs> it was never my cargo. Car- cargo. Oh, they didn't, they didn't call Tim
1: cargo. <laughs> <He's>, uh, <laughs> he got off lightly there. But how funny. So have you ever had a top Chelsea player in your car maybe you don't want to say sorry
0: I might be diving into some secrets here that (laughs) you don't want made public no Uh, no, I can I can I can say haven't because again they all have cars so if you're doing interviews we're either driving to them normally you drive to them with the cameraman and and producer and whoever else is, is involved you would go to your subject in this case the player you I wouldn't largely say hey jump in let's go for a spin (laughs) that that would be weird (laughs) so so no I haven't so I was spending all this money and there was no one of that sort of because I think they thought well if if something happened and they were in your car then suddenly they are worth because they have bits of them insured for millions did you it was I don't know was your arm insured for millions no uh I wish I got my tongue insured (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that would have been nice. <laughs> well, um, I don't think it would have covered that. To be honest, I don't think that would have been part of no, it. No, I think there would have been that clause saying, "If you are stupid enough to do something like that, we will not cover it."
1: No, I, I didn't. I didn't have anything
0: <laughs> covered. I, I wasn't good enough, unfortunately. But do players? So do will players? Or did you hear of players who had bits of them covered? Uh, no, I haven't really heard of that.
1: I, I don't even know if the top guys do. Probably, they probably, well, they probably just have massive insurance, don't they? I mean, I was insured, the WTA Tour have some fantastic insurance. So I was insured through them and. It's great because you know that everything's covered. You know, even if you were to drive Andy Murray around, it's it's in the package. It's, it's fine. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm going to settle on we were both ripped off. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. We should have fought that harder. I should have got Tim Hemmond to
0: phone them and say I will not get in her car. How about that? But it's still sort of happening now. I'm sort of really careful when I ring up to get my insurance because you don't want to lie because if something did happen... And then it turned out if I said I was, um, I don't know, um, an accountant and suddenly I have this accident and it turns out I'm not, that could be problematic. So you don't want to lie about these things, but you have to be careful because I'm not going to be driving anyone around that's worth millions. I promise you I'm not. My cargo is precious. It's my children, but it's it's not footballers or tennis players. But imagine if you did. Imagine if you had... Frank Lampard jumped in your car
1: and just said, I can't bother to walk across the car park. Can you drive me to my car? And then he like stubbed his toe on the way in. I mean, (gasps) and the insurance
0: company would say, told you so. I don't think I'll go to my insurance if he stubbed his toe getting into the car.
1: <laughs> also, he doesn't really play anymore, does he? So it's probably not so bad.
0: Well, he, he manages Derby <laughs> County, so he'll still be insured for a lot, and he's probably still precious cargo in terms of. But not his toe. Well, he needs his toe to walk around. Imagine if he can't walk, and then he suddenly can't manage, and he can't be out coaching, and he can't be on the sidelines. Wait you don't need to be able to walk to manage you could sit down and manage (laughs) plenty of them sit down in a huff a lot of the time but you need to be coaching you need to be out on the field coaching your players if you've got one foot but I mean it it hasn't happened it's not going to happen just to say were you told were you told that you couldn't do things like who told you you couldn't do things like skiing and things like that well (laughs) that actually came from my parents
1: because they'd seen me skiing (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> and I used to ski a
1: lot when I was young uh, with family. Well, I mean, I say a lot, we went once a year and it, that was pretty much the, the holiday that we did have. We used to go over Christmas, which was really lovely. So that's kind of all my memories. Um, and then when I got to about 11, they told me it was because I was taking my tennis sit more seriously but I don't remember taking it seriously at 11 at all it was definitely a couple of years later than that but from what I've heard from my cousins and people who were with me and were slightly older and remember it well say ah yes anything
0: we could do to stop you skiing <laughs> that was basically <laughs> it apparently I was quite reckless so when you start playing on the tour when does it when does the WTA become involved in terms of insurance do you go to them or do they approach you how does it come about that they you go with them for insurance purposes yeah well
1: they just they have they have their package that you can purchase i think well i think you have to be a wta member so at the beginning of every year you have to pay a fee it's not a lot it, you know it's it's really not a lot but you, you have to pay a fee to be a WTA member, which allows you to enter tournaments. Um, And then you can play as many tournaments as you want. Whereas if you're not a member, you're allowed to play. uh, uh, This is based on 10-year-old knowledge, 12-year-old knowledge, back from when I was playing. But I'm assuming it's still the same. (laughs) So again, facts, a little loose, (laughs) but roughly there. We'll get there in the end. Yeah, and then if you were basically playing, if you were playing less than five WTA events a year, then there was no point in becoming a member. So you can then just pay your entry fee and it becomes about the same amount. But then if you're playing above that, then you become a member. And then you get lots of different benefits and you get access to the insurance as part of that.
0: When you talk about lots of different benefits, you know, when you have a certain bank account or in my case, you have twins, there's actually, you have benefits in terms of there's a, an association that you join and you pay every year and you get, I don't know, discounts on, on shoes and clothes and holidays because you're buying two of everything. And you get bank accounts where you get benefits certain bits and pieces what kind of benefits did you get did you get any nice benefits well so you're paying your fee at the start of the year you've got your insurance package but did you get anything? i don't know cinema two for one cinema tickets <laughs> discount on travel <laughs> it's,
1: not, it's not a mobile contract <laughs> for God's sake. it's a lifestyle right yeah <laughs> no so you have the access to the insurance uh if you qualify, you then have the option to qualify for pension, for example. The ATP have a pension, WTA have a pension. They're very different. They have different rules. Again, that's a guess. They might be the same. But anyway... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the WTA. Uh, so it's like, ai don't know, they have some sort of algorithm. They work it out. You have to have spent a certain amount of time at a certain, averaging a certain ranking, and you have to have won a certain amount of matches on the WTA tour. <laughs> I didn't qualify. But uh, if you qualify, you get a nice, nice pension uh, package as well. Um, what else are the perks? Well, the sponsors... If there are any sponsors you might get a good deal you're not going to get like a free car or anything but you get a significant discount so yeah there's there's bits and bobs here and there i mean and just generally you're looked after really well you know they 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 know who you are they they try to make sure that you're okay and they speak to your coach make sure that your coach is not a lunatic because that has happened in the past (laughs) not to me thankfully but sometimes players are really bad at spotting when their coaches are lunatics and it takes just an outside pair of eyes to say, you know, <laughs> probably shouldn't be training for nine
0: hours a day every day. Do you have access to bits and pieces like if, and I'm not talking about the, the very top players in the world because they have their, their their team and their entourage, but with this membership and you say they keep an eye on you, would you have access to a sports psychologist? Would you have Um, access to nutritionist, things that if you were lower down and making your way up, that you might not necessarily have the money or want to spend the money on. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Actually, that is a
1: perk that I kind of forgot about, but uh, because they're at the tournaments a lot. So when you're at the tournament obviously you have to pay a membership to be able to play the tournament and then at the tournament there are doctors and and all sorts and i mean they do kind of yeah they do like skin checkups everywhere as well which is really good because it's really important and uh, and for the young players they have something called pro u or it was called pro u when i was playing i should really uh, update my knowledge <laughs> Hang on, give me a week. <laughs> I'll speak to some people and I'll double check. And we'll do it all again. <laughs> yeah, so there's a really fantastic uh, lady called Kathy Martin, who's worked for the WTA for a really long time. And she has been uh, really at the forefront of pushing through things like the age eligibility rule. It was incredibly controversial at the beginning when it was brought in, the fact that you are limiting players, that they, they cannot play uh, too many tournaments because they want to look after kids ultimately because they were kids as well we were talking about 15 16 year olds here and if it was up to them or up to their parents or whoever was in charge they would have been playing every single week and a 15 year old is not really able to say no to that and it was about longevity and career and just health and happiness and and that sort of stuff well general well-being so pro you they did something called rookie hours which uh, I did take part in, and they they sit in the the changing rooms, and there was a couple of them. Kathy's now moved on and actually works with the players um, in terms of speaking to them, almost like a, a counsellors sort of therapist sort of thing. but the the rookie hours, they used to stay in the changing rooms so that you go and talk to them privately because for the women, coaches aren't allowed in the changing rooms. For the men, they are, but for women, coaches aren't allowed in. The majority of them are guys still, but even now, female coaches aren't allowed in to the female change rooms.
0: Why is that? I, I understand that they're maybe not allowing the male coaches to go in because there might be some women in there that... But, but <laughs> you understand not allowing men into to women's change rooms. Wow. <laughs> Look, in this day we live in now, we've got toilets where just anyone can go in. So this is the world we're living in now. I wouldn't be surprised. But we're talking, it's a a professional situation. Why on earth not let female coaches go in? Well, the rule was made at the time where there were no female coaches to
1: be honest but there were some parents around but it was more to provide an area of safety because there were an awful lot of young girls this is back when you know the majority of people seemed to be teenagers that they weren't the majority teenagers but there were so so many of them and there there are quite a number of examples of some really really awful abuse going on I mean just you know read Elena Dokic's book that is one example it is an extreme example but there was a, a lot of stuff going on and Kathy really was at the forefront of putting rules into place to just pre- to protect the players and to prevent that from happening look she wants everybody be- to be as good as they can possibly be but uh it just provides a safe space so you can kind of hide out in there and and they're in there so you can chat to them and and talk to them about bits and bobs really um the, the difficulty is is that when there began to be female tennis coaches on the tour. They didn't have any changing rooms because <laughs> they never really thought about that before. <laughs> so uh, they had to quickly uh, sort that one out. But um, with the w- rookie hours, I took part in the initial rookie hours. So again, you have to play a certain amount of WTA matches when you are under the age of 18 and that triggers off the first round of rookie hours. Again, this is maybe this is how it was 10 years ago for me. And those rookie hours consist of Learning all about the sponsors, having lots of conversations with uh, the the people who are running pro-U, lots of education about the tour, what it means, who people are, like who on earth is the the chief exec and who's this person, who's that person, how everything works. And it's essentially rookie. It's your induction and you have to execute a certain amount of hours. It's quite a lot, actually. You get tests and quizzes and all sorts. They also look at your schedule take you through your schedule they meet your coach talk to your coach again to make sure that you're you're resting enough so that was one thing i mean they brought up with me they said we don't think there's enough rest in there you're only 17 so maybe if you're 23 then not resting as much is different but you're still growing you need to sleep and whatever and jet lag and they were looking at where the tournaments are and and they really try and come at it from a well-being point of view which i'm not going to lie over the years, has clashed massively with coaches because coaches are so driven for results and performance and they think they know best. And it's been really difficult for them. It's something that you, you know that I'm a massive fan of now in terms of mental health and well-being in, with players. And I wish i had had them involved more because I think I could have prevented an awful lot of what I struggled with and maybe not have had to stop playing as early as I did. Yeah, so you had to do the Ricky But the funny thing was is that every time you hit the next level you basically just triggered off another run of rookie hours and they would hunt you down they knew where your (laughs) locker was they knew when you were playing they would come and find you and they'd say hi fancy doing some rookie hours and you think oh man I've got press to do I've got this to do and you go got to sit there and ultimately it's like a lesson and normally you're doing schoolwork as well at the same time so (laughs) and you're just thinking oh man but that's because I'm look. You were looking at it through a teenager's eyes. When I look back at it now, I think it's a brilliant scheme, and I I love that they that they do it. And and they do do something similar actually on the men's. I think they maybe have less rules like they don't have the age eligibility rule and that sort of thing. But uh, and obviously, coaches are allowed into the changing rooms. But uh, they they have their own induction, their own sort of rookie hours thing. And yeah, but uh, and I remember chatting to Tamira Pashek, because I think the first level was about. I think it was about 15 to 20 hours it ended up taking. But you could spread it through six months or something. It, you know, Every time you're at a tournament, just do an hour or two and, and then do this. Right now, we're going to learn about the sponsors. And so
0: hang on, how would they know you'd done an hour? You're actually sitting with someone in a room and that would be an hour. That's how they clock the hours. Yeah, exactly. So they basically just grab you for an hour
1: or two at a time. And they were great about it. And they were really, when, when I, especially if you're just lost, you're just thinking, I really don't want to learn about this stuff (laughs) I really just wanted to go back to my hotel room and have some food but you you, but you do it and it is really really helpful because otherwise you're completely lost you don't really know what's going on and you're relying on your coach essentially to tell you everything about what's going on now I was very lucky particularly when I was traveling with David Felgate he was a very experienced coach he knew everything that was going on but if you're a player back then you did have some players playing that didn't have an agent, now you wouldn't because you know the young kids are getting signed up all over the place so the agent would also help you with this sort of stuff but if you have a coach who's quite new because sometimes you do get coaches come through with players and maybe they've been really good on the challenger circuit but don't know the tour so well, they won't have a clue they won't know what they're doing either it's really really important and they do do a fantastic job with it and they've been doing it for 20 years, I mean they've been absolutely nailing it the whole health and mental health and well-being thing which is obviously really coming forwards now they really have been leading the way with it and <laughs> I remember chatting to Tamira Pasek one year I think I think we we're at the Australian Open actually and, and I was talking to her about rookie hours because every level it triggers up more rookie hours but only for under 18 so it was if you played a certain amount of WTA matches triggered off the first lot so I did that because I did most of that during the grass court season and so you have to do that for initial chunk which is great and then if you reach top hundred you then get another trigger off level 2 so you get like another chunk of hours on top and then top 50 you get another chunk but if you turn 18 before you get to top 50 then you don't have to do it it's only for the under 18s because that was it's optional you could still do it but the rule was you had to do it if you're under 18 (laughs) poor Tamira Pacek she was ranked about 30 something and she was only 16, 17 and I was talking to her about rookie hours she was like oh my god I've done so (laughs) many rookie hours she said I'm not even Gonna lie, like sometimes what I'm doing well, I'm thinking I'm just gonna end up doing more homework. I'm just gonna have more quizzes to do. (laughs) I don't know. But we we joked about it, but we all knew it was for the right reasons. Everybody was very much on board with it. But it's just sometimes you kind of felt, Oh, can I just have a break? And somebody like Tamir Pashek, no chance. Pashek and Corne
0: are the rookie hours queens, (laughs) they did them all. It's interesting. I was having a conversation about young players, a very different. what we've just been talking about but in young players and what they have to deal with and how sometimes we forget that these guys who are say between the ages of 18 and 22 that's still really young everything is playing out in public they're in a good mood they're in a bad mood they're going into a tournament the expectations their life is laid bare and we were talking about Sasha Zverev and, and he's had this run which hasn't been good And people have been scratching their heads as if to say, well, look, it's not second season syndrome. And he's got Ivan Lendl part of his team and and what's happening and people trying to come up with a few theories. And He had a bit of an illness in India. Well, so maybe he's struggling to get over the illness. And a couple of days ago, he arrived in Munich, a tournament that's very dear to him, had a press conference. And just a quote from that press conference, because everyone sort of saying, you know, what's going on and what's happening. And apparently he was really open in this press conference. This is just, I wasn't there. This is just one of the quotes. And he said... I'm always honest with you journalists, lately many things have happened the management situation, that costs strength because is a, a difficult situation with his former management team and that has to be resolved for he can get a new one. So effectively, he's the manager and he's having to deal with everything that's coming in. He said, my dad cannot be with me for the first time. Apparently, there's something medical that he's dealing with and the relationship with my girlfriend is over. These things are affecting me. Other players wouldn't talk about it, but that's the case with me. I always take such things to heart. And then he goes on to say, everything's coming down. I'm happy with my life. And on the tennis court, I think he's only 22. He's only just recently turned 22. Can you imagine... Maybe you can more so because you've been in a, a press conference situation dealing with bits and pieces. I cannot imagine being 21 or 22 and sitting down in a press conference talking about my relationship and my family and the sponsorship deals. And at the same time, there's there's pressure for you to perform, and and it's it's crazy. I think sometimes just when you think someone like Felix Ogierliacim at 18, he seems to have his you know a really sensible head on his shoulders he's just made the move to monte carlo he talks about not really liking the the publicity and that side of things but unfortunately it's part of it now isn't it that the media want their piece they want to get to know you they want to build you up there are some people out there that want to bring people down but it's it's a like any sport you're very much in the spotlight and and these guys in this case are are still pretty young
1: Yeah, I think the hardest thing is when you're being asked questions, particularly about why you're not performing well, and actually sometimes about why you are playing so well, especially if it's kind of come out of the blue. And when you know the answer, but you don't really want to talk about it, it can be really difficult, because you also don't want to lie. There's no point in saying kind of, you know, I've had glandular fever or something, because it's just going to open a whole new can of worms. And people have done that before. But, yeah, I mean, it's hard, like you know if, if a reason for struggling is that you had a, a breakup and you're young and you've been in love and it's devastating and it's really difficult to try and deal with and then you're out there on the big stage and you're by yourself and you feel completely vulnerable and you think I don't know who I am what am I doing you know all of the sort of questions that come into your mind it's incredibly difficult to commit and compete at the absolute highest highest level with everybody that wants to take you down and especially at the same time I mean he's not talked about and I know this isn't a reason for him but at the same time the other young guns are doing really well maybe coming around the outside no one's caught up to him yet but they have been doing really well as he's maybe started to plateau a little bit but you know when you know the reason but you just don't want to talk about it like sometimes we've seen players play phenomenally well i I remember bethany matek sands the year she got married oh Best year I've ever seen her play. I mean, it was phenomenal. She was just like smiling through points. I've never seen such joy oozing out of somebody. Like, just it was just amazing to see. And the reason, I mean, she didn't have really much problem talking about it. But some players don't like the fact that the reason they're playing well is because, well, actually, I'm I'm in love with somebody and I'm incredibly happy in my personal life. I mean, Caroline Wozniacki talked about it as well when she won her Grand Slam. She said i'm really happy off the court and so now i can go and do all of the things and achieve the things i really want to do so i think it it does work both ways but it's very difficult when you know the reasons and you don't want to talk about it and i kind of i feel like i get sucked into it a little bit with the media trying to guess what's wrong with people like, Ooh, Suarez had a bad year like what's going on what's wrong with him there's nothing wrong with him it's just life goes up and down and the expectation that people are going to be relentlessly consistent I mean come on we can't all be David Ferrer now can we (laughs) he's a a robot clearly but yeah I don't know look even the conversations about Nadal I mean he's lost two matches on the clay and everyone's going nuts saying oh what's going on maybe he won't win Roland Garros maybe this he lost in Monte Carlo (gasps) what's going on he lost a couple of tennis matches you know he plays thousands of them (laughs) He's probably going to lose a couple.
0: I think with the Dahls case, we're just not used to seeing him. Yes, the two losses he had, Monte Carlo and in Barcelona, were two men who have beaten him before who can beat him. Fanini's capable of beating anybody when he plays at his best. And Dominic Team is the heir apparent on clay. But it's just... I have to say, it's, it's made me sort of wobble a little bit with Roland Garros. I mean, in our predictions, I picked Djokovic when I think I was just in the end of 2018 Djokovic phase of this man can do no wrong. So I put him down for everything. But I'm starting to feel more confident, maybe not necessarily in Djokovic, just that maybe Nadal won't win it this year. Maybe the, maybe it's getting too tough on the body. Maybe I think we also have to remember with Nadal, before people start talking about it as a crisis, is that he had a big chunk of time out. So he hasn't had build-up in terms of matches approaching the clay season. So maybe he will now start to get stronger through it. I mean, Dominic team played sensationally to beat him. Fabio Fanini was at his Fabio Fanini best. So I still think it's going to take something special to beat him on this surface. But he's, he's shown people that he's, he's human on clay. And there are times when you think he's not human on clay. I think part of that is, is the body. And it's getting the body time and time again, getting that body back, getting it into a position not to heal itself, because I don't think he'll ever be properly healed, but just to manage his way through the part of season, which is his part of the season. Yeah. And I think just
1: looking at the 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 mammoth efforts that it takes to achieve certain things. Like, yes, we have been spoilt with very, very consistent players. Roger and Rafa, particularly, we've had actually even Djokovic, I feel, has been less consistent throughout his career. I mean, his his 2015 and his 2011 were the most consistent and extraordinary things I've possibly ever witnessed. But in terms of through his, throughout his career, he has those unbelievable highs and then he really does dip off quite dramatically. And we saw what happened to Andy Murray after he reached number one. It was a mammoth effort. Yes, his body broke down, but that is part of it. Body and mind need to be well to be able to play. You can't sacrifice one because then you're stuffed. And then Simona Halep, same thing, won her first Grand Slam. What's happening there? Naomi Osaka, what's happening there? I've said it before, but the expectation that players will be in their peak physical condition and their peak mental condition and peak motivation throughout a 15 or now look, looks like it's ending up going to be 20-year career for some of these players, it's just, it's just nonsense, absolute nonsense. Um, and yes, you do have... The players who are more consistent over a longer amount of time, and I mean, look, Rafa on the clay. It's I don't know if it's even about consistency. I think he was just that much better. That it was actually could he operate at fifty percent and still win everything? Or I say everything, but you know, most things. Loose facts again, and um, yeah, and the same with Fed on the grass, and and that sort of thing. Were they? were they really operating at 90%, 100% all the time because, and they were relentlessly consistent or were they just that much better that when they dropped down to 50%, they were probably still going to win anyway?
0: Can I just say in defense of your loose facts, especially this week, we (laughs) should say mitigating circumstances. You had a bit of a milestone that you reached and celebrated and continued to celebrate throughout the week last week. And I have a feeling you're still recovering from it. Well, (laughs) quite, I'm old I'm officially old. Finally, I I was 30.
1: Turned 30 on Wednesday. So, woo, congratulations to me. And thank you, you sent me flowers and a card, which went straight in the recycling. But the flowers are great. They look lovely.
0: (laughs) I tried to find a Christmas tree. Honestly, I had a quick Google search and see if I could send you a Christmas tree, which is something I will be doing this year. You'd get a cheap one in April. Well, I couldn't find any one. I think if I'd started ringing around, but I just did a little bit of a search to see what I could find. And there were no Christmas, because I didn't even know, maybe I'm a bad friend. I didn't even know it was your birthday. And it was literally the night before your birthday. You're like, oh, it's my birthday. It was the end of last week's podcast. You yeah, know, yeah. It's my, you sort of finished. Normally we sort of have a little chat after the podcast. You would, Oh, it's my birthday tomorrow. And I was like, what? When did this happen? Sorry. <laughs> so, um, yeah, tried to find a Christmas tree, didn't. So we had some, I can't believe that the card's already been recycled. They're lovely words. you meant to sort of pin that somewhere. They were lovely words. And I read them. I digested them. And thank you very much. And I'm just thinking, if you talked about Bethany Matic-Sands and, and she got married and the smile, and so can we expect, following your wedding, that would be full of love, Um, in the summer, that you're going to be all kind of smiley and everything through our podcast through sort of (laughs) July and August? (laughs) Are you you
1: expecting my level of commentary just to reach new new heights? You're going to be all kind of like mushy in your
0: podcasts and stuff.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm going to say, look, I'm not one for infatuation or lovey-dovey stuff.
0: I don't think it has to be infatuation. I think you just... It's just being in love. Yeah, it's not really my thing. <laughs> I can't wait for this <laughs> wedding. <laughs> we, had a, we had a couple of questions from Nat. Um, Nat, and I hope you don't mind if I go with your second question. I just want to know if Naomi has any stories here. Uh, she wants to know about grunting. And she, she used the example of watching Londero against Ogelia seem recently in Monte Carlo. And said, I don't know how Felix was able to concentrate as the guy was basically shouting and wants to know are there regulations around grunting what can the chair on pie do could he baby do the fun sportsman's like conduct and do you have any do you have any grunting stories well um, I'm assuming
1: she means on a tennis court (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> because, I mean well apparently remember our podcast that you thought I said was PG isn't so it's, uh, <laughs> well maybe we should record two sections to this <laughs>
1: one about <laughs> tennis and one about other stuff <laughs> um, right let's start with the tennis <laughs> oh okay fine you okay fine you keep it. I told you you're the one who keeps it PG <laughs>
0: And just not, See? should I want to hear those grunting stories? <laughs> didn't really want to hear the tongue story when that
1: came out. <laughs> um, grunting, right, okay. Are there any rules around it? Uh, yes, you're not allowed to interfere with your opponent's shot. That's basically the rule. That, that's not the exact wording, but that's the rule. If you're interfering with your opponent's shot, you, are, you would get a warning for unsportsmanlike conduct, exactly as, as Nat was suggesting. That's just up to the umpire. It's umpire's discretion, right? So you can have a chat with the umpire and you can say, look, it's interfering with my shot. If the umpire disagrees with you, ah, you've got to get on with it, really. The only time it would, inter- it doesn't really matter how loud it is. There was a bit of a push uh, quite a few years ago to start putting limits on it and start telling players to shut up. But it became apparent quite quickly that <laughs> that they weren't going to listen. So they they scrapped that idea. They were looking at maybe bringing it in in juniors so that the next kind of wave would come through and not be as bad. But it's just such a difficult thing to police. I mean, you're just guessing. You're going to have no consistency across the board whatsoever. And ultimately, actually, if you're grunting on your court when the ball is at your end and you grunt, you could grunt as loud as you want. It doesn't really distract anyone. I I don't believe it, that it distracts people. It's fine. It's in rhythm with the shot. It totally makes sense. It's not a problem. Where it can distract you, if it's your opponent grunting, is the really long grunts. When they're still grunting when you hit the shot, that's just unnecessary. It's so unnecessary. For me, it's just attention-seeking. Shut up. So attention-seeking. I've played a couple of people who have done that. And you're just, just looking at them going... What are you doing? You've literally hit your shot. You've started grunting before you hit the shot. You've hit your shot. You're grunting. You've recovered back to the middle. You've split step. You're still grunting. It's the same noise. (laughs) I don't
0: understand. Did you ever say anything? Would you ever have said as you sort of went to sit down or at the end, would you have ever said anything? I would have. if, if If it was genuinely distracting me, I would have.
1: But I've... I've never been in a situation where it's distracting me. I've played against all different sorts of grunts. And even when it's long and when you're hitting the shot, I've never really played anyone who's still grunting when I'm hitting the shot. Maybe occasionally, but not consistently. So that is probably the only time. And and that happens so rarely. Like, really, it does. The general rule, as far as I'm concerned, if I was an umpire, I would try and enforce that you're when the ball is at your end of the court, so it's over your side of the net, you can grunt away, do what you want, do a cartwheel for all I care. No one's bothered. (laughs) But when it's at your opponent's end, you've got to have a little bit more respect. Um, do you know where grunting is really annoying, though? It's when it's on the next court to you. Ah, uh, yeah. Because it's not in rhythm with your match.
0: You're just hearing random noises. So
1: you'll throw the ball up to serve, and then you just hear this massive grunt, and, it, and it, that's where it can really distract you. It takes you out of your zone, and sometimes you start thinking, oh, what's happening over there? There's nothing worse than somebody going nuts at an umpire on the court next to you. And actually, the amount of times you get players who will tell players on other courts to shut up <laughs> or or like can you walk to the umpire and have a conversation rather than yelling at him from the baseline or whatever it may be and that yeah so stuff that happens on other courts is really annoying when it's loud um crowd cheering is not so bad because i, I don't know maybe it's more of an expected noise i'm not really sure but yeah, anything that happens on your court, it's to do with your match. It's following the, the rhythm, the flow, the momentum. So it's no real issue. But, um, I mean, look, people grunt. And I know it sounds stupid, but it does
0: actually help. But then you get those, they don't make a noise. Is it just because the effort levels are different? You don't hear a peep out of them in practice, however hard they're practicing. And suddenly they got onto a match court and there's an awful lot of noise. So is there, is it is it? Tactical grunting. I think I think you're diplomatically referencing
1: Maria Sharapova, who famously doesn't grunt. I in don't
0: think I said any names.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I, it's not about the effort levels. It, it's not. It's more about the timing, and then maybe as your effort levels go up, your grunt might get louder. But do you know what? I, I I'm really awful. I'm one of those people that when I travel around the world, I pick up accents really quickly, and it's so annoying. And I get so annoyed with myself. Like within a couple of weeks of being in the states, I've got like this little American twang, and it's really annoying.
0: No, you haven't. Oh no, seriously. <laughs> Does that mean that at the end of our time together in Paris, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna have a French accent? I'm not sure I'm capable <laughs> of picking oh, well, up a French accent. Oh, that would be accent. amazing. Can we please record the podcast <laughs> that day when you Can have I that little say bit that of French? <laughs> 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 I've got to tell you that
1: I'm known for that like if I go to Australia pick up a twang same in the particularly Australia in the States right that, that's fine but I once didn't go to Australia and I still managed to pick up an Australian twang just because I decided as I was travelling around Europe to catch up on MasterChef Australia <laughs> <laughs> And I watched about twenty episodes, <laughs> and I was just, oh, it was great. Yeah, you know, full-on Australian accent. Well, it wasn't. It was just a bit, of, bit of a twang. But I pick up that stuff. Like I just, I, I don't know. It's one of the things I get most irritated about about myself. But I do the same with grunting. So I just tend to copy the grunt of my opponent and just go along with it. They've kind of got a long sort of Sarah Irani clay court grunt. I'll get on board. If it's kind of an intense Sharapova or Debrito grunt, I'll, I'll go with that. So you, you grunt back. You give back grunting. Yeah, but not deliberately. Not deliberately. I just kind of notice it if I ever watch a match back or
0: if by the end of the match. Doesn't that really annoy an opponent? Because they will know that you're not a grunter. And then suddenly they're grunting because it's something they always do. You start grunting. Wouldn't they see that as quite unsportsmanlike and think you're doing it deliberately because you don't normally grunt and suddenly you're grunting? No, I am a grunter. I am a grunter. I just change my grunts depending. Because a
1: lot of players, you'll notice it on the clay. They change (laughs) their grunt on the clay to what they do on the hard. Because on the hard, you hit the ball. So particularly for the women, they have a really short and sharp grunt. And then on the clay, when you're trying to work the ball, you've got the ball on the strings a little bit longer and you're manipulating the racket a bit more. It tends to be a longer grunt. It's a thing. Why are you looking at me like I'm crazy? <laughs>
0: no, I'm just, it's so keen that you're a grunter. I didn't know you were a grunter. We should have done this question right at the beginning. We could have done a whole podcast on grunts. You're a grunter who picks up accents. <laughs> the things, oh, the things I learn about you. And this year we're going to be working together in Paris and in America. I'm very excited about the French, Naomi, that's going to appear at some point. In the French show, but that's never uh. happened. The French has not come out.
1: Even though Savat is in my surname, but no, there's no then, French in me at No, all. we're not
0: even going to your surname. <laughs> that is never entering the podcast. It <laughs> is, though. So? No, no, stop right there. Stop going. Oh. Uh, unless there's someone out there listening that wants to know Naomi's surname story, we are not going there. And then when we get to America... You're going to start coming over all American. This is going to be really funny. I cannot wait. I will, yeah. I'm very excited. But I try really hard. When I catch myself doing it, so I
1: go to a restaurant and it's got this little American twang and I, I just hate it. I, I, honestly, look, I hate
0: it as much as you hate it. I'm as disappointed in myself. Can you imagine <laughs> what they're thinking about you? Say they're like taking your order and you're like, oh my word. We're not going out for dinner together. <laughs> it's just, oh no, we are. I need to hear this. this and I'll just apologise.
1: <laughs> yeah, but then what happens is I catch myself doing it so then I try extra hard to put on my British accent. So when somebody says to me, oh, where are you from? I'll, I'll end up saying something like, oh, I'm from London. <laughs>
0: it's like so <laughs> Yeah, but what is that? that that's not that, that's not your British accent. I know, but I kind of over it to, to make a point that I'm not American. If I over-egged my accent, it wouldn't come out like that. I mean, this is... <laughs> That's from your rap days, isn't it? (laughs) That that MC Baggy pockets coming up again. (laughs) Well, all I know is I'm very excited that we're going to have dinner every night, every night in America, because I am not missing out on the night that you do that when you're ordering food i'm gonna try so hard not to do it it's gonna be exhausting no but but either way it's gonna be win-win because you're either going to be speaking an american twang or that kind of landan or whatever that was that you just said so it's either way it's gonna be amazing (laughs) (laughs) and and i'm very excited already i want to (laughs) i want to um I want to end because I have to go soon. <laughs> um, we've, had a, we've had a review. We get very excited because we don't get many, but we get very excited when we get them and we're very appreciative. Um, and if anyone would like to post one on iTunes, that'd be amazing. Um, if it's nice. Bjorn Baltos. I like the name already. <laughs> um, has said it. Infectious laughter, random nonsense, saying that's my favourite part, and lots of candid tennis insight. Great work, ladies. Oh, good. It, it finds in, in a lot of our reviews, uh, nonsense comes up. <laughs> I'm taking, I'm taking it as a strong positive. <laughs> um, but a lot of yeah, nonsense seems to seems to. Appear. That's possibly my fault. I should. Maybe start researching some facts before <laughs> before we start each week, <laughs> rather than making statements and thinking I think I just made that up. <laughs> no, to be fair, looking back, it, it, nonsense is coming across in a positive, so it seems to be working. None of it might mean anything, and it might all be lies. But it, <laughs> it seems to be <laughs> it seems to be taken in quite a positive way, so that's good. So when are we? I always forget. I don't even know when are we working together next. Madrid. Are we? Are we working Madrid. together in Madrid? Yeah, Monday. Monday, which is Bank Holiday Monday. Yeah. Bank Holiday Monday. It weekend. is. It, well, not for us. Not for us. No. <laughs> and not in Madrid. Is, I don't, is it a bank holiday in Madrid? Probably I never not. know where bank holidays are. But just UK, it's bank holiday. It's all I yeah. know. Um, so we're working. Okay. So so I'm going to see you in Madrid. Oh, does that mean you're going to have a Spanish accent in next week's <laughs> podcast? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I can't wait. Adios. <laughs> Adios <laughs>